Well, today is the 20th anniversary, as we all are well aware, of the greatest uh, terrorist attack ever against the United States in our history, and some would say the greatest terrorist attack ever. Although I suppose when a nation invades another nation, that's kind of a terrorist attack. But in terms of uh, this type of event, it was certainly a very a significant day. And I, as I look out here, I see a lot of young people who either were not alive or were not old enough to really know what was going on at that time. And that, of course, is not your fault. Uh, we're all born at different times. I missed World War II, uh, thankfully, uh, born just afterward. And uh, some of the people have gone through the Depression, the Great Depression even before that. There are seminal events that take place from time to time. And they're events that we'll always remember. Those of you who are old enough to really think much through, you will always remember COVID-19. This is one of those big events that you will live with the rest of your life or however long that may be. In the physical flesh, you will never forget it. It's a significant event. It was determined in the aftermath that the Taliban that were ruling Afghanistan was the safe haven for Osama bin Laden and Al-Qaeda. And that's where the terrorist attack apparently was uh, planned and considered. I remember Colin Powell, the Secretary of State at the time, getting on television and telling us about Al-Qaeda and Osama bin Laden, which, frankly, most of us were not familiar with. We might have heard of... Uh, Osama bin Laden, but Al-Qaeda was a strange term for most of us, and even Osama was uh, someone that was not on our radar screen. And he was explaining uh, where this terrorist attack had come from and what was done. And that's the reason that the United States and dozens of other countries deployed troops into Afghanistan, because the Taliban, which... uh, are very strict in their approach toward things, girls not going to school, uh, people being beaten for any number of causes, but those individuals that were ruling Afghanistan, instead of turning over Osama bin Laden, uh, the United States gave them an ultimatum, you can either, you know, turn him over or we'll take care of you and kick you out. And so dozens of countries then joined Among the individuals who died on 9-11, something that we kind of forget about is that 372 of those individuals were citizens of other countries. In fact, one report, a history report, shows 78 different countries. And I saw one report that said 90 countries were represented there. I suppose it was because of dual citizenship and a number of other factors that you have different numbers, slightly different numbers. There were 2,996 who died, depending on whether you count the 19 hijackers and those that may have died a day or two after or several days after or a month after. There are all kinds of different numbers that you sometimes come up with, but it's rounded off to 3,000 individuals who died that day. Outrage 
serve to unite Americans and much of the world. There are a lot of other countries around the world that were ticked off, that were outraged because some of their citizens died as a result of it. And it brought people together in a way that this world has not been since then and wasn't for quite a while before that. We saw American flags going up everywhere, more American flags in our neighborhood this morning. And church attendance increased, which I guess when bad things happen, people get religious. But church attendance increased for the weeks and a few months afterward. But that unity with our own people and with other countries was short-lived, as was the increased church attendance. Now, I suppose I would be remiss not to address the subject of 9-11 today. What, if anything, have we learned? Are we safer? And how has our world changed since 9-11? What changes have taken place in the church since that time as well? But I would be remiss not to address these questions on this very uh, significant anniversary. Significant in so many ways because where we started 20 years ago is right where we are again today with the Taliban in charge of that country. And a lot of very uh, radical individuals and high positions in it. It's important that we look at events in the long term and not just, you know, see something as isolated. So let's look at some of the changes that have taken place in the last 20 years, in September of 2001. Twenty years later, we see the United States and other Israelite nations, and many nations in general, more divided than they were before. 2001. We see more people today, at least in our Western world, turning away from the Bible. The rise of the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, where individuals claim no religion, no affiliated religion at all, has risen. And it's risen rather dramatically in the last several years. We see that morals have plummeted. It's, it's interesting that young people, not through fault of their own, but by the, the timing of your birth, do not realize how different the world is today from the way it was 20 years ago. Even 10 years ago, it's changed dramatically. For example, same-sex marriages were not legal in most of the Western world in 2001. But same-sex marriage is now legal in most Israelite nations and other nations around the world as well, but especially the Israelite nations. When we compare the Gentile nations of Russia, of China, of nations in Africa and the Caribbean, they don't go along with all these things. But it is the Israelite nations that are sadly leading the way. 
LGBTQ rights are accepted in much of the world. We say LGBTQ plus the rest of the alphabet soup that is added to it. It's LGBTTIQQ, you know, 2SA, whatever it may be. Uh, quite an alphabet soup. And they end with plus because they're not sure what other perversions they can add to the list. It's interesting that the LGB, that the uh, same-sex marriage uh, movement, once it was successful, and I remember where I was at the time, I think it was about 2015, it could have been 16, we were in Canada, but I don't think we were living there at the time, it was either that or we were moving, you know, going back and forth to the UK. But I remember being in a A&W uh, restaurant, or just before going in, and realizing that same-sex marriage had barely been accepted in Canada and the United States, I think it was in Canada first, but the United States where it was accepted, and the trans movement was immediately on its heels. Once one was accepted, then the other immediately was put to the forefront to accept the trans movement, transsexuals, people wanting to be something that they're not and that they cannot be. You can't beat biology. You can't change the chromosomes. It's the way it is. Then we had suddenly personal pronouns where we're not to call somebody by Mr. or Ms. or Mrs., but by G and uh, various other terms. Not him, but, you know, I, I, I don't even know how to pronounce most of them. I, I've seen them in writing, but I don't even know how to pronounce them all. But there are 40 or 50 different pronouns. And being demanded that you call people by that. And I, I love the guy at Michigan State or wherever it was that he said, okay, if we have to be called by our personal pronouns, mine is His Majesty or His Royal Majesty. Great sense of humor, treating absurdity with absurdity. We now have something called cancel culture. And I suppose that cancel culture goes way back. In fact, I was looking it up and maybe goes back to the 1700s. But cancel culture as we understand it, especially on social media, as it is powered by social media, uh, is something that's relatively new just in the last few years that we've really seen cancel culture come into play. And some of our younger people that are 20 years of age have lived through that. You may not have realized that maybe at age 15 you thought I've always been there, but no, it's only been there a very few years in the way that we understand it today. I was listening to the news on the way to services today, and there's a, a fellow that is the head of some, um, some Internet service that, that provides video games, violent video games, he came out in favor of the new law in Texas banning abortions after six weeks. And it's interesting how the opposition always presents it, the so-called heartbeat, so-called heartbeat. What do you mean? It either is or isn't. 
but it usually shows up around six weeks. Anyway, he came out in favor of that, and he's lost his job. He's been canceled. Of course, it is interesting that while he's against abortion, he's all for violent video games. He was the, I guess, the CEO or president. I, I can't remember the exact title. But cancel culture is something that is definitely there, and it's something that uh, we're no doubt going to face at some point in time. All these things happened in the last 20 years. In fact, many of them within the last five to ten years. We now are more polarized than we've been since probably the Civil War. I know we've had some difficult times back in the 60s. We had riots, race riots. We had assassinations of two Kennedys, Martin Luther King, and various other problems back then. But we see a, a nation that I don't see how we're ever going to come back together. We're so polarized. And it's all driven by social media and by the media. And then we can throw in, just in the last couple of years, COVID-19. And what do we need to say further about that? So that's just a brief look at where we've come in the last 20 years. Well, we've come a long way. And the way that we've come is not very good. You know, when, when you look at uh, the Scriptures, as we certainly want to do, but Luke 17, it tells us the, the mark of the end of the age, the time when Christ is going to return. It says in Mark 17, 24, "...for as lightning that flashes out of one part under heaven shines the other part under heaven." so also the Son of Man will be in his day. So it will be that way. Now, it goes on to say, but first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And then verse 26, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. And we go back to Genesis 6 and we read that it was a time of great violence. You know, this is a violent age that we're living in. Every weekend... There are going to be people shot and killed in the city of Chicago. Sometimes as many as 80 people. 80 people being shot. And maybe a dozen actually dying. And the last one, I think last weekend, was a four-year-old. In bedroom, at home, stray bullet coming through and killing this four-year-old. And that happens all the time. And that's just one city. It's the, probably the worst at this time, but gang warfare. And those things are going on all over uh, our country and some of the other countries as well, but especially this country, a very violent uh, country. It also says that every intent or the thoughts of their heart was only evil continually. And when you look at what people feed themselves with, whether it be violent video games or whether it be pornography, which is apparently huge uh, out there. Um, from everything we read, it's huge. And there are people even within the church that get caught up in these things and become addicted to them. And they need to get some help. They need to counsel with a minister. 
who needs to help you to do whatever needs to be done. Sometimes just confessing something is helpful. But we're not talking about confessionalism and Catholicism, but sitting down and counseling with somebody to get some help to be able to overcome these things. The question that we might ask ourselves is that with all the things that I've just mentioned and all the distractions that are taking place, the polarization that we have in our society, the political infighting and all this sort of thing that we haven't even addressed yet, is there something that we might be missing in the Scriptures due to these distractions? And I would say that there is something that we should at least take a look at because we may be missing something. Some years ago, Mr. John O'Gwen turned over to Leviticus 26, and he pointed out in one of our council meetings where it says, if you despise my commandments and reject them and don't obey me, then I will even appoint terror over you. Let's turn over there to Leviticus 26. Leviticus 26. So I'm not saying anything new at this point. Just pointing out something that I've brought up a number of times because I thought it was so profound when Mr. Gwynn saw that and saw something that we kind of overlooked. And so 20 years ago, not that we'd never had a terror act on our soil before, but we had the worst terror, terror attack in all of our history and perhaps the history of the world, killing nearly 3,000 people and setting us on a course that has led us to where we are today. He said, I will even appoint terror over you. This was the very first thing that he said he would do. Terrorism. And terrorism has been a problem in the little state of Israel. England went through their problems of terrorism back in, the, what, the 60s? I don't remember the exact decade. Maybe the 50s a little bit as well, over Ireland. There were a number of terrorist attacks. And there's been terror in the world. But God says that if you do these things, if you respect, disrespect me, if you abhor my judgments and despise my statutes so that you don't perform my commandments, we got to the place where we didn't just neglect the commandments of God as it was when I was growing up, which was not right, not good, but we got to the place where we despise them. And you see the hostility toward God that has risen up in uh, some recent decades, going back even before 2001. But with 2001, it changed our world forever. It changed the way we go through airports. It changed a lot of things. But notice what it says right after that. I will even appoint terror over you, wasting disease and fever, which shall consume the eyes and cause sorrow of heart. Now, of course, one of the worst consuming diseases is uh, AIDS, HIV and AIDS, of course, cancer, and that's been around a long time. But, you know, suddenly we have this thing called COVID, COVID-19. And it's certainly a problem, isn't it? We 
Ben, we're going into our second year, pretty close to our second year of the problem. It's been less than two years, but it just doesn't go away, does it? Turn over, keep your place here in Leviticus 26, or put a marker there because I'll keep coming back. But go over to Deuteronomy 28. Deuteronomy 28 is a similar section of Scripture talking about if you obey me, here's what's going to happen. If you disobey me, this is what's going to happen. And in Deuteronomy, the 28th chapter, beginning in verse 58, it says, If you do not carefully observe all the words of this law that are written in this book, that you may fear this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God. Verse 59 says what's going to happen. Then the eternal will bring upon you and your descendants extraordinary plagues, great and prolonged plagues, and serious and prolonged sickness, or sicknesses. Moreover, he will bring back on you all the diseases of Egypt, which you are afraid, which you are afraid, and they shall cling to you. They'll cling to you. It's kind of like COVID is cling to us. It just doesn't go away. Some people say that it may be here for 10 years. They're talking about boosters and boosters after boosters for the vaccines. And where is it going to stop? Where is it going to stop? It's clear that this coronavirus, which is similar to the cold virus, I say similar in terms of being a coronavirus, mutates fast enough. You can't get a handle on it. That's why we've never had a vaccine for the common cold. We already have a number of variants, the Delta variants, which is spreading very rapidly and which, by the way, we need to take seriously and, and do proper masking and care for one another. I know it's a political issue. I understand that. I understand we don't have all the answers, but I think that The weight of evidence is in favor of masking. And it's interesting how in masking people, some people try to do the least. They just follow the letter of the law with masks that really do very little or not wearing them properly. It's important that we take these things seriously because this thing can spread and spread very rapidly as we certainly learned at summer camp this last year. And there are a number of you who have gone through this, which is, in a way, it's good because we have natural immunity now, which is better than than vaccine immunity from various studies. I don't know about the rest of you, but I, I don't regret having gone through that, honestly, because you learn certain lessons. It's something that sobers you up for a period of time. It makes you think. And now you have the benefit of natural immunity. And you have an understanding at least a little bit of what some others have gone through, although some have gone through a whole lot worse than than most of us here. So it's not always bad. God, in fact, if you look at Psalm 119, uh, well, let me finish here first of all. Verse 61, it says, Also, every sickness 
And every plague which is not written in the book of the law will the Lord bring upon you until you are destroyed. So he talks about various plagues that are going to come upon us. And over in Psalm 119, I was uh, reading that this morning. I don't know if I, uh, my eye will fall upon what I was looking for. But uh, it probably won't. But talking about things that, that are a benefit to us, uh, that, that it's good that we are afflicted. Anyway, you can look up the word afflicted, and uh, it's Psalm 118, Psalm 119. It's good to be afflicted from time to time because we, we learn lessons from it. So wasting disease follows on the heels of terrorism. Now, this could just be coincidental, but let's look what the next verse says, or the, the next part of verse 16, back in Leviticus 26. It says, And you shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. Well, we haven't seen that yet, have we? Let me just read the headline of an article from Military News, American Military News. This is July the 20th. It says, China is buying billions in U.S. farmland, and lawmakers are scrambling to try to stop them. And the article goes on to show that the Chinese are buying up farmland all over the world. But they're certainly buying it from here because we have some of the best farmland in the world. And they're buying these farms, and they become corporate farms. They hire others to work for, you know, work them the, the farmland, or they let it go fallow. But when you think about it, when famine does come, what are these? Where are these people going to sell there? You know, they have contracts. Are they going to sell it to us, or are they going to sell it home? And China isn't even the largest foreign buyer of American farmland. Other countries have bought more. But it's the pace and it's the extent to which they are going after our farmland that is troubling lawmakers, those who are looking at it and saying, whoa, wait a minute, something's going on here. So... I always thought when I read this that that's after people come in, they, they, you know, they invade our land and then they, they take it. And that may be the case. But on our southern border, we have people invading our country. And who knows where that's going to go in the long term. It's a problem. You know, this year they're expecting two million Illegals to cross the border, the southern border. And they're coming from Central and South America and Africa and the Middle East and all over the world. And the ones that we know about are the ones that kind of turn themselves in. But you've got the runners, the people bringing drugs or other problems or just wanting to get into the country and cause harm. You know, we're allowing a number of 
Afghanistan, uh, Afghans into the country. And we were supposed to bring out the people who are supportive of us, but then they put them on a military base up in Wisconsin or wherever it was, Wisconsin, Minnesota, and then they start advertising for translators. Obviously, these weren't people that were helping us in translation because they have a large group of people up there and they don't have anybody, they don't know how to speak to these people. These are people that the Taliban let in and we took them in and then they just rushed the planes and we don't have any idea who we have. You know, we have a lot of problems that we're bringing upon ourselves. But when it says that You'll sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. Our enemies may eat it for more than one reason. It may not be because they've invaded the country. It may be because they own that part of the country. And they'll sell it to whom they want to. Verse 17, I will set my face against you, and you shall be defeated by your enemies. You shall be defeated by your enemies. Well, we certainly could apply that to Vietnam. It wasn't on the battlefield that we were defeated. We were defeated by our politicians and our media and, uh, you know, others besides the soldiers. But however you want to spin Afghanistan, the retreat from Afghanistan, no matter how you want to spin it, it was a defeat. The Taliban were there 20 years ago, and now they're in charge again. And sometimes I think that we as Americans are the dumbest people on the face of the earth. I don't mean to be offensive. But when you trade one deserter for five very high and dangerous individuals, four of which now are in leadership positions, including foreign minister who has a $10 million bounty on his head at one time. I don't know if that's still there. You wonder, what's the matter with us? They give us one traitor back, and we give them five terrorists. And it comes back to haunt us, doesn't it? It will come back to haunt us. You know, when you, as somebody said, you pull your, pull your team, your football team or whatever kind of team it is, off the field, after three quarters, the game's over for you, but not for the other team in a sense. They win. They win. And whether we should have gotten out of Afghanistan, that's a debate that I'm not going to have. But the way that we came out was disgraceful, sad. You know, Moses backed by God, said to Pharaoh, let my people go. If you don't let my people go, then you're going to have this problem. What did we do? We went begging. Please work with us. We didn't go from a position of strength, but a position of weakness. It's not politics, that's reality. It's just the way it is. I'd like to read something here from 
Jeff Goodson, military opinion contributor to The Hill. This is the 31st of August, and it's titled, In Afghanistan, We've Opened the Gates of Hell. Now, this is one man's opinion, but I don't think he's alone in this opinion. The Afghanistan fiasco is the worst strategic blunder since 1938, the year that British Prime Minister Neville Chamberlain waved around a copy of the Munich Agreement and proclaimed peace in our time. I don't know how many of our young people remember hearing that. That was something that some of us grew up with, even though we were born after the war. It was the beginning of World War II. He went over there and he you know, talked with Hitler, and Hitler, I guess, schmoozed him or whatever it was, and he came back with a piece of paper, peace in our time. And yet it cost 60, 70 million lives before it was over. Chamberlain's failure to understand the enemy gave Germany the space it needed to invade Poland, the event that marked the start of World War II. Chamberlain resigned in 1940 when his political support evaporated. Winston Churchill assumed power, ultimately snatching victory from the jaws of defeat. Kind of a twist on expression. President Joe Biden's debacle will have no such savior. The Islamic Jihad isn't that kind of war. Instead of getting us out of Afghanistan and bringing peace in our time, He's opened the gates of hell. In one disastrous and grossly ill-conceived strategic move, Biden has armed and empowered the Taliban and elated every Muslim fanatic from Morocco, that's northwestern Africa, to Mindanao and the Philippines. And he goes on to describe, and I didn't want to take time to read this this whole thing. But he shows how Afghanistan has been the heart and the core of Islamic terrorism for a long time. And it, it, it's, this goes back, you know, a long time. And how strategically important it is. And it's, it's, a, it's a country that has broken empires. And we've learned a harsh lesson, as did Russia. But the way that we pulled out has emboldened the enemy. Very interesting article. You might want to look that up. In Afghanistan, we've opened the gates of hell. You can read the whole article. I'm sure you can find it on the Internet. What does it say next in verse 17? Be defeated by your enemies. Those who hate you shall reign over you. And by the way, when we're defeated by our enemies, that doesn't mean this is the final there are going to be other situations that come up, and who knows how this is going to go. But those who hate you shall reign over you, and you shall flee when no one pursues you. Notice it says, those who hate you will reign over you. I think we've kind of been distracted. Maybe this has snuck up and we didn't realize it. But last year we watched as statues were torn down in an effort to erase our history. It would seem that the socialist, hard-left, woke folks have taken over our universities. And statues were pulled down by people that had no idea what they represented, the one up in Wisconsin, 
Madison, Wisconsin. Here was a, an individual who spoke out against slavery and fought against it and lost his life fighting against it, and his statue gets torn down. Because these ignorant fools in the university don't even know who these people are and what they did. And so whether it's Winston Churchill's statue or Abraham Lincoln's statue, you've got people who wanted to tear these down. The only thing that stopped it was a 10-year prison sentence. I guess uh, that, that slowed it down or stopped it. They kind of got it out of their system, I guess. Cities burned as political leaders watched and did nothing. As individuals who just wanted to riot. They wanted to destroy. They didn't know what they wanted to build. They just wanted to destroy. Consider the influence of the squad. Again, some would say this is political. No, it's just a fact. These women, and God says that children will be our oppressors and women rule over them. These women seem to hate the country. Now, they, they may love being here, and they love the freedoms that, they, that we have here, but they want to transform what America is into something totally different, radically different. When God says that those who hate you will rule over you, we sometimes think, well, that's a foreign power, but this is happening within. I'm not saying this is the only fulfillment of this, but it's interesting, isn't it, that these things are happening right before our eyes. And again, I don't, I don't think that these are the ultimate fulfillment of it, but the squad has tremendous power, and you wonder why. Well, because there are other people behind the scenes that apparently go along with this socialist agenda to transform the United States. And you see that in other countries as well. Can anyone deny, based on their fruits, that many in academia, in the media, and in government hate what this country is? They want to change it into something entirely different. Notice verse 18. It says, After this, if you do not obey me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins. And verse 19, I will break the pride of your power. Now, is this not what we saw in Afghanistan? Did we not have the power to do it differently? Probably, yes, at the cost of lives of soldiers who signed up for being a soldier. But with the drones that we have, with the helicopters that we have, with the soldiers that we have and the weapons that we have, could we not have held off the Taliban until we got people out? Could we not have done things differently? We had the power, but instead we were begging for their help, turning security of who gets through the lines to them. I think we also had our lines that they had to get through. I'll break the pride of your power. We had the power, but for whatever reason we failed to use it. 
And both our allies and our enemies see this. From The Guardian, September the 2nd. It says, U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan will lead to EU army, says top diplomat. Again, this is an opinion. Whether it happens remains to be seen. But it says, after a meeting of the European Union defense ministers, Josep Borrell, the EU's high representative for foreign affairs, said the moment had come to establish an active EU expeditionary force described by some senior European politicians as an army. It's clear that the need for more European defense has never been as much evident as today after the events in Afghanistan, Borrell said. There are events that catalyze the history. Sometimes something happens that pushes the history. It creates a breakthrough, and I think the Afghanistan events of this summer are one of these cases. Now, some say that, well, they've talked about a European army before, and I don't know. We don't know. But we have to recognize that a lot of our allies are seeing what happened and saying, oh, I don't know if we can depend on the United States. It's interesting that North Korea started up their missile or nuclear program, I forget which it was, just a few days after uh, we left Afghanistan. I would imagine if you live in Taiwan, you might be a little nervous right now. Will the United States come to their aid? Are we going to get into war with China if they decide they want Taiwan? And we think, oh, who cares, Taiwan, that's way over there. You know, it's interesting that Taiwan is hosts some of the most critical uh, Internet, and I don't even know how to describe it. It's not passwords, but it goes beyond that. It's even more powerful than passwords. They, they, they host, you know, the, the world's keys, you might say, to these things, to the Internet and to computer programs. Taiwan is a very important place. Will the United States go to war? with China, and we know that the Chinese want Taiwan, and if it doesn't even start a war, they've got a lot of leverage now, because will the Taiwanese trust the United States again? What about other places in the world? Will anybody trust us again with what we've done? The European Union has been talking about an army for some time. It hasn't come to pass. It may take further events, but this is just one event that is causing our allies to wonder about us. They see an empire in decline. It's been that way for some time, but it continues. Verse 19, the second half. I will make your heavens like iron and your earth like bronze. And your strength shall be spent in vain, for your land shall not yield its produce, nor shall the trees of the land yield their fruit. Uh, again, if we look at what's happening, 
Here's an article from the Telegraph of UK. This goes back to June 28th, and it's gotten only worse since then. But it says, the United States is grappling with a historic drought that is set to get worse amid yet another heat wave. About 65%, think about that, 65% of the country is now suffering from extreme or exceptional dry period, the worst in 122 years. This has been a a long drought, and you get a little bit of relief every once in a while, but you look at the the chart of uh, Lake Mead, for example, which feeds into Lake Powell. I'm sorry, Lake, uh, I have that backward, Lake Powell, I guess, and, and Lake, well, one is north and the other one's south. One feeds the northern states of uh, Colorado and uh, uh, some of the other places, and the others feed, the south one feeds uh, Arizona and uh, California and I think one other, one other uh, state. But it's dropping, it's dropping, it's dropping. And those lakes are getting low, and it isn't just those Lake Mead and Lake Powell, but There are other reservoirs. Salt Lake City is the lowest it's been since 1847 when they started keeping records. It's going to be interesting. We're supposed to go to Utah for the feast. And uh, I've been across that road from Salt Lake City to uh, to Reno a number of times. The most boring stretch of road you get ever find because all you see is salt flats. Forever and ever, especially if you're a kid, it seems like forever. But it's going to be interesting to see, if we can see it, just how low it is. We have some of the largest forest fires in the history of California have taken place. The little town of Lytton in Canada um, had 121 degree temperature. Think about that couple hundred miles north of uh, the border, 121 degrees. Las Vegas has only been 122, has been their high. Houston, Miami, haven't even been close to that. I guess Lytton doesn't have to worry about it anymore because a brush fire came through and destroyed the town just a couple days after they hit that high temperature mark. Our world is going in a direction that, you know, I I don't think that weather upsets are necessarily the sign of the end of the age. We've always had weather upsets. We've always had volcanoes. We've always had earthquakes. But in Matthew 24, it does show that these things are going to happen And, of course, they're down through time, but when we read Revelation, the sixth chapter, we have to recognize that there's going to be an uptick in some sort of way. But here in Matthew 24, as a sign of the the end of the age and of Christ's coming, it says in verse 7, Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines pestilences and earthquakes in various places. And then he says in verse 8, all these are the beginning of sorrows. These are just the beginning of sorrows. We haven't even gotten to the worst of it yet, not even close. We still have it pretty good, especially most of us in this land. So where is the church in all this? Where is the church 20 years later? 
Well, first of all, before I get to that, I wanted to uh, just promote the, the latest magazine, uh, Tomorrow's World. It has an article, 9-11, 20 years later, which fills in some information that I haven't covered here today. We've got a, a excellent article on the new racism, very important article. I think that we understand what's happening. Mr. Smith wrote that article, and he he just really brings it out how we need to see the big picture and the real solution as opposed to some of these phony solutions that man comes up with. Very interesting article, very balanced article. But I hope you'll take time to read the magazine. I know you're busy getting ready for the feast. Maybe take it with you. Maybe leave it in the drawer of a hotel after you've read, read it. Um, I suppose that if it's at one festival site and they find one in every drawer, that might be a problem. But, um, you know, consider those things. Where is the church, though, 20 years later? Well, social media, rather than the Word of God, is shaping the think of far too many. People are out there on social media, listening to what others have to say, arguing back and forth. If you listen to conservative news, you're probably going to be an anti-vaxxer and an anti... Well, not necessarily because even they promote the vaccine, but certainly an anti-masker. Yeah, I had to get that word. I said mas Yeah, masker. Probably against mask because that's what they're promoting. Don't let anybody tell you what to do. Listen to Ron DeSantos or uh, Greg Abbott, those red states. If you listen to CNN, then you're all pro-everything. You know, somehow we've got to be able to stand back and think and analyze our own feelings of how these other influences are able to influence our thinking, how they're able to stir up our emotions and our anger. You know, last year, the president and the vice president were saying, I wouldn't take anything that Mr. Trump had a hand in. Now look at yesterday. It's been changed a long time, but now, you know, you're the worst people on earth. He's more mad at us than he is people crossing the southern border or the Afghanis. He's mad at you and me if we don't have the vaccine. Politics is that way. You're against the opposite side no matter what. And there's one side of the media that's going to push you in one direction. There's another one that's going to push you in the other direction. And we need to stop and think these things through and analyze, okay, how is this affecting me? I'm listening to this or listening to that. And what is it doing in my mind? Am I getting angry? Am I wanting to go out and, and uh, lobby against something? We have to think about it. But I think that sometimes people get caught up in social media and all the, the wrangling that goes back and forth, and they become visceral about it and argumentative about it, instead of having a, a nice discussion over the pros and the cons of something, Satan is manipulating us.
And as we come up on the Day of Atonement, we need to understand that he's manipulating all of us to some degree. We're, we're probably none of us are exempt one way or the other, but some people are really getting caught up in it. We even had a breakaway group from the church. Really caught up, I mean, when you, when you really understand all, all the people and at least some of the people, and you understand what uh, what's taking place there, people got caught up in an opinion that was not from the Bible. It was their own opinion. And people that were always had a problem with, with government in some cases. Not everybody, but many. Social media, rather than the Word of God, is shaping the think of far too many even in the church. We've gotten caught up in politics and judging one another. If you're on one side of the issue, then you're bad, the other person, and vice versa. Why can't we just learn to live and let other people live their lives? Why should I dislike somebody because they have a different opinion? We had a get-together in the neighborhood here recently, and... Some of us are on one side of an issue, some of us are on the other side, but we're still friends. We didn't argue or anything like that. People expressed an opinion, but, you know, we can get along. But sometimes in the church, people have a problem with someone that believes different than they do. Let's stop being self-righteous. Stop being wise in our own eyes. And just love one another. Now, Love one another doesn't mean we throw the law of God out. That's not the issue there. But why can't we accept what the Apostle Paul said in Romans the uh, 14th? Romans 14? Yes, Romans 14. That have faith, have it unto yourself. Why should I judge another man's servant? So we have debates over masks, over vaccines, over Trump or Biden or some other champion. We have... Sexting, where often, I guess it's young fellows, I don't know. I, I, I know it affects young people. I don't know how much it affects older people, but you've got young fellows in their teens and late teens and early 20s, and they're writing to girls that they meet on uh, social media and asking them to send pictures of themselves uh, that are compromising. And it affects the church because we have girls that sometimes tell us those things. That this person was asking me to send pictures of myself. It affects the church. And fellows, I hope you realize if you do that, you know, the girl is trusting that you're an upstanding individual when she's communicating with you. And when she finds you're not... She may not be any more loyal to you than you've been to her. In other words, if you are telling her to do something that could compromise her in, a, in a, you know, and in, in something they end up out there, who knows where on the internet, then you need to realize that maybe she's not exactly who you think that she is, and I hope she'll turn you in. And those in the ministry have to deal with those situations when that comes up.
you know, take a quick screenshot of this request from this individual. Just like he may take a quick screenshot of you. And who knows who he'll pass around to. This is our world. Sexting was not there 20 years ago. I suppose there were other ways of doing those things. But it's so easy. It's just point and click and send. And girls never believe that it's just between you and that individual. Way too many girls have found out that it's out there all over social media or among various friends of this individual. And we've had a number of very tragic situations. I'll just leave it at that. Some people have gotten caught up in Internet conspiracies, QAnon, Flat Earth. Mr. Ames once mentioned that uh, 2 Timothy 1.7, God gives us a spirit of a sound mind. And some of this stuff is not the spirit of a sound mind. It's a spirit of naivete. It's a spirit of, I don't know, it's just, it's just not a sound mind. We have behaviors and values that are influenced by the world. There's a Wall Street Journal article, Why Men Are Falling Behind Women in College. Uh, and, and this article, this very, very recent article here, it says, Social science researchers cite distractions and obstacles to education that weigh more on boys and young men, including video games, pornography, increased fatherlessness, which a young person can't do much about, and cases of overdiagnosis of boyhood, restlessness, and related medications such as Ritalin. But I think it's interesting that 60% of the people who go into college now are, are women, 40% men, and when it comes to post-graduation and so forth, it, it's, you know, women are just beating the daylights out of, out of guys, and there are a lot of reasons for it. Here's uh, another reason. Among the University of Vermont undergraduates, about 55% of men or boys or male students graduate in four years. So in that one university, 55% of male students graduate in four years compared with 70% of women. And Luke Weiss, a civil engineering student, put it this way. I see a lot of guys that are here for four years to drink beer, smoke weed, hang out, and get a degree. They don't know where they're going. They're lost. And so they graduate from high school, if they do, and they don't know what to do with their lives. We need to work with our young fellows, parents especially, to help them to find hope and meaning in life. It's there, but they need encouragement and help to, to find it. Satan is the master of distraction, and he doesn't care which distraction gets you. He really doesn't care. But when we fail to see the big picture of what, why God has called us, 
we make ourselves prey to distractions. We must keep focused on our calling. And we hit this all the time, but brethren, it is so serious. I have to look in the mirror and say that, you know, how is all this stuff affecting me in the world? And, And if we think that it can't, we're very naive. And we can't afford to be naive. We must keep focused on our calling. In Matthew 28, verses 19 to 20, it shows that we are to take, well, I'll just turn over there. Matthew 28, almost there anyway. Uh, Verse 19. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. That's the, that's what God told His disciples then, baptizing them into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I don't want to try to explain that verse right at the moment, but it says, Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So the, Commission to preach the gospel in all the world, make disciples of all nations, goes all the way to the end of the age. It means right now. And it's amazing. I was talking with a minister here a while back, and he has a lot of friends that are kind of out there, lost, not knowing where to go and everything. And and he said that there are two things that they don't get. That there's a work that needs to be done and church government. And they're, they're totally blind to that. Brethren, let's make sure we're not blind to those things. In Matthew 24, verse 14, it tells us that the message is going to go out as a witness. It doesn't mean that everybody's going to be converted. Verse 14 of Matthew 24, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness. Notice, as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Now, how much of that is our responsibility? How much will be done uh, to witnesses and so forth? That, that, you know, that remains to be seen. But what we know is that we have to do what we can do. Pray for God, who is the one that will do it through Jesus Christ. But also, we need to work ourselves as though it all depended on us. Knowing, though, that God is the one to do it. Over in Ezekiel. I'll just turn to Ezekiel 2. We often refer to Ezekiel 33, but I just want to remind us of what God told Ezekiel. And we understand that Ezekiel never was able to get to the people that he was, he was commissioned to go to, which was the house of Israel, primarily. But here in verse 3, he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly and fill your stomach with this scroll that I give you. So I ate, and it was in my mouth like honey and sweetness. And he said to me, Son of man, go to the house of Israel. And there's no doubt that he knew the difference between the house of Israel and the house of Judah, because all you have to do is go over to chapter 4, and he lists both of those and different different, uh, uh, subjects, uh, times of punishment. So he says, go to the house of Israel and speak with my words to them. For you are not sent to a people of unfamiliar speech and of a hard language, but to the house of Israel. Not to many people of unfamiliar speech and of hard language whose words you cannot understand. Surely had I sent you to them, they would have listened to you. You know, it's interesting. China, which we look at as a terrible enemy. Uh, you know, I'm speaking of most people in this country. They've been cracking down in China 
on social media companies. Overnight, they annihilated six of the seven top Internet companies. Education reforms, ban on private tutoring and different things there. Video games. The party has announced that video games are a spiritual opium. You know, they've got it right. They've got it right. But here in America, we can't, you know, that's too authoritarian to crack down on something like that. You know, I'm, I'm thankful we do have the freedoms we have because we couldn't function. But it doesn't mean that because we have those freedoms that this is the way that things should be. Do we think in the world tomorrow, after Christ returns, that we're just going to give everybody freedom to do whatever they want to do? It's going to be the right way. But uh, the opium, the spiritual opium, and have started rounding up people who are addicted to video games to send them to treatment centers. Now, I'm not sure what that means in China, but they recognize the problem. Additionally, video games on app stores for children are now banned. Children also uh, limited to three hours per week of video game play. There are individuals who created the Internet and the, so, and the programs on the Internet or the, the uh, platforms out there who say that no kids under the age of 14 should be allowed on these smartphones. They recognize there are dangers out there. They're going for a 40-hour work week with a maximum 10-hour shifts. Family life is to be given new center by companies. The creation of a masculine and feminine school curriculum with girls being educated to be good mothers and boys being taught to be masculine and strong. You know, uh, there, there are other things that they've done. Festivals, some of our single people would love this. Festivals, the Chinese Communist Party will require unmarried men and women to attend festivals where they will be told to seek partners for marriage. These festivals will be held as part of the working environment and so will be paid by for by companies in China. Single folks, you, that sounds good to you. Well, you've got a festival it's called Feast of Tabernacles. Now, we're, we're not telling you to, well, <laughs> we're, we're just saying there's a wonderful opportunity there to meet other people, but uh, we're, we're not commanding that you, you do something like that. You know, what, what I'm saying here is that it's the Gentiles, as we read here. He says, had I sent you to them, they would have listened. That's verse 6. Surely had I sent you to them, they would have listened to you. But the house of Israel, verse 7, will not listen to you because they will not listen to me. For all the house of Israel are impudent and hard-hearted. Behold, I have made your face strong against their faces and your forehead strong against their foreheads. And verse 9, Like adamant stone, harder than flint, I have made your forehead. Do not be afraid of them, nor be dismayed at their looks, though they are a rebellious house. That's where we come from. That's where we come from. So, if we're a little hard-headed at times, we get it honestly. But it doesn't mean we have to stay that way. We need to think about our environment. Think about the world in which we are living. Think about how it's affecting us.
So are we better or worse 20 years after 9-11? I think the answer should be obvious to all who have eyes to see. Are we better as a church? Are we better in the world as a nation? We cannot change the world. We'll never do that in this, this life. We will in the future, but not now. But we can change ourselves. So I encourage you as you go to the feast this year, as you keep the Day of Atonement, as you keep the feast, to look at the big picture. Dr. Winnell talks about the big picture a lot. We need to get that big picture. Uh, God has given us such a wonderful opportunity. He's calling you and me to be his children, born in his family for all of eternity. And what he needs to know is, are my children going to be trustworthy? We have the opportunity to prove that, that we will be trustworthy. We have the opportunity to show that, that we see the big picture and that we want to be as he is. So stay focused on why you are called. And look, not to the Internet and social media, but to the one accurate and reliable source of truth, which is the Word of God. And that's a challenge. It's not easy. I'm preaching to myself as much as to you. We have to stay focused. And we have to look to God to be the source of truth in our lives.